to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. Um, I have another wonderful reactive redefined case study to share with you today. So if you have a reactive dog, um, I have an online course. It's called Reactive Redefined, and it was designed especially for you. So Erica is with me today, and she is one of my fabulous um, reactive redefined students. So Erica, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your reactive dog. Yeah, I would love to. Hi, everyone. I am Erica. My dog is a Mac. He is a little over two at this point. We adopted him two years ago in August, so we just celebrated our two years together not that long ago, um, and he is a bundle of energy uh, and has been experiencing some reactivity that we were looking for ways to tackle. Nice. Okay. So was Mac was a little baby puppy when you got him. Yeah. He was anywhere from maybe four and a half months to six and a half months. Uh, we have a bunch of birth dates on his paperwork. Um, but yeah, he was definitely on the younger side. Oh my God. He's so cute. His wrinkly little forehead. Bless him. Okay. So for everyone listening, can you just describe what kind of dog Mac is? Yeah, he is a 60-pound dog who thinks he's a 12-pound lap dog. <laughs> no other way to describe him, but he is a mixed breed. We won one of those DNA tests a couple of months ago, um, and his results came back of a couple of different bulldogs. He also is a uh, Stafford Terrier, um, and the results didn't say he had too much hound in him, but if you've ever seen him, he is all hound and all nose all the time. So he kind of makes up a whole bunch of different cute puppies. Oh my God. He's so cute. Okay. So, um, okay. So in his early days with you, right, his early days, how was he as a puppy? Was he pretty confident? Did you see, think he was fearful? Like, what did that look like? He has been a bit of an enigma, I think. Um, he loves people. Um, the When we first met him, we went to meet him and adopt him, and he had kennel cough, so he was separated from the other dogs at his rescue, but he came bounding over, jumped on our laps, and was like, hi, you're my people. We are going to go home together. It was so cute. Um, we were a little nervous that maybe he would be scared of us, and we'd have to coach him, you know, that, hey, you got to leave with us type of thing, but he was like, no, like, I'm good. You're, you're great. Let's go home. Um, so he's always been really great around people. He loves when people come over maybe a little too much. <laughs> he gets very excited. Um, but early on, I started to notice when we went out on walks that he was a little nervous of things that were happening around him. And it displayed in, I guess, ways I didn't realize was reactivity until months later. So, you know, we would be out on a walk in the morning and kids would be getting ready to get on a school bus and he would see them and immediately pancake and like start shaking and not want to move forward and be very, very nervous about the whole thing. Um, at first, bikes terrified him. They would come riding by us and he would be lunging at it or trying to hide behind me. Um, but I don't think we actually 
was putting the word reactivity to it and probably a year later, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, I feel like those behaviors aren't the like stereotypical, like outward, like lunging, barking. Mm -hmm. Right. But those subtleties, right. Like he's still having an adverse reaction to a stimulus in the environment. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like some of his reactions like shifted from like that initial, like fear slash panic to like, maybe I'm more confident to tell this thing off. So it goes away. I think that's what his current reactivity towards skateboards, which is our biggest nemesis out in the world, um, and rollerblades is he doesn't want them near him and he's gonna let you know that you should not enter his space if you were on one. Um, for the other things, I think it's more of a curiosity that he like wants to stop, see what's happening, make sure that he's not missing something or that maybe they're not coming in his space or doing something that he doesn't want them to do. Um, I would say most of his reactivity isn't overly excited. It's more of either fear-based or just cautious wants to see what's happening. Yeah, right. And, you know, I think that, you know, reactivity, really the label reactivity, obviously most people know it as like the outward lungy barky, but, um, you know, the reactive behaviors that you're describing about Mac, I know that a lot of dogs experience, right? Where they're just like, I'm going to need to just stand here because I don't really know, mm-hmm. which can be just as problematic as a dog who is lunging and barking, just depending on the situation, right? Mm-hmm. And like knowing that he's experiencing that like emotional roller coaster, you know, I can imagine as his human, you're like, oh my God, dude, how do I help you here? Yeah. And for us, Um, I feel like, so we took him to training classes when we first got him and we didn't go to the best place. It just wasn't a good spot for him. All he wanted to do was sniff around the whole time. Um, and she was talking to us and the other dog in the class one day and was talking about reactivity and was just so negative about it that I was like, no, that's not Mac. Like he isn't this like crazy dog that's aggressive and trying to like bite other dogs or anything like that. Like he must not be reactive. I don't know what's going on with him, but this isn't him. So I think just from the onset, I always had this negative association with reactivity that I wasn't really able to put the two two together that, okay, no, it's just, he's having a problem with the environment and we need to help him not have that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that trainers mean well, right? Like I think we all at the end of the day mean well, but I think sometimes we overwhelm people with like, label, 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 label. And then you're like, wait a minute, that, that label doesn't suit my dog. Right. So, um, I think that it's really important and that's why, so for everyone listening as part of the reactive redefined course, you get a one-on-one hour long call with me. And in that initial call, I ask so many questions, (laughs) right? Because I want to know every specific detail because I'm not my intention is not to give generic training advice for a basic label. I give specific training advice for the specific behaviors that your dog is displaying. Um, and I remember you messaging me, you're like, does he fit in the category for mm-hmm. this course? And I was like, he does, right? Like he really does because the whole goal is still to help the, the dog reacting, right? Rather overtly or fearfully or whatever, navigate the world better. And the skill set I really felt could still complement the challenges that you all were having. Exactly. Yeah. And I just even immediately have started feeling more comfortable being like, yep, we're going on a walk. It's going to be fine. We're going to handle it. Or before I'm like, 
my gosh, this is so overwhelming. What if we see someone or see something or anything like that and just didn't even want to put us out there um, that I was getting worked up before we even were leaving the house, which is not great that I'm worked up, which would then work him up. Well, it's a lot, right? Because like it becomes neg- it becomes averse for us because when you're out and especially for him, right? Because he will just dead stop. Mm-hmm. right? Like that becomes really kind of a verse on the human end because you're like, oh my God, he's going to stand still and I can't get him to move. And everyone's looking at us. Like that's not a super empowering position for you as his person to be in either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what made you finally like, well, I guess I shouldn't say finally, what, what was the, what made you really want to join reactive redefined? Like what made you pull the trigger? So I think it was looking back that he had been sidelined for so many months with his back-to-back surgeries on his knees that we finally were in a spot where he could go back out on walks. We weren't limited to walking, you know, one block down, having to turn around, which we had been limited for so, so long that it was one of those things I was like, you know what, it's, we need to tackle this, right? Like it's not going to get better on its own. Um, Maybe by some act of God, it might have, but we wanted him to be able to live the life that he hadn't been able to live for so long as he was going through his surgery recoveries that it just, uh, the timing just worked out that, you know, weather was getting better. This opportunity came up. Um, he was in a place where he could, you know, go on regular walks again, that it just made sense for all of us to get on board with this. Oh my gosh. Right. The timing super perfect. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that it's it's interesting because I've had several people take the course who the dogs were post TPLO surgeries, which is really interesting. Um, but I I agree. I think the timing was so great because now you all had this opportunity where like you've taken the pressure off of him dealing with very many triggers, right? Because he was doing such short outings that now is like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this with all of the tools so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming anymore. Right. It was kind of like a reset of, okay, we've been in the house. We've been stuck. We have not lived our lives. Let's, let's do a reset and kind of just get back out there. And I I think the pandemic also helped because people were more understanding of, Hey, we're going to cross the street or, Hey, we're going to pull off the trail and give you space where people around us definitely were a little like, why are you doing that? Why won't you let your dog come over and say hi to me? Like your dog's cute. I want to say hi. And I'm like, no, he needs space. And now it's like, yes, please don't come near me anyways. (laughs) Right. Totally. One of the silver linings of all of this, right. Mm -hmm. Is that like creating space for our dogs has just become that much more socially acceptable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So walk us through. So I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but walk us through what Mac is reactive to. Let's talk about what he's overtly reactive to, meaning like he'll lunge and bark at. Skateboards, 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 skateboards. He will hear one coming and you can just see him go on alert and he will, you know, try to figure out where that thing is. Um, When we started the class, it was, you know, over a hundred feet away. He would be freaking out, barking, lunging, trying to get at the person on the skateboard. Um, And I personally was like, we're never going to be in a spot where we can even be within 50 feet, but you know what? (laughs) 50 feet down from 100 feet is still a step in the right direction. Um, And I would say rollerblades are probably in that same category. We definitely see them a lot less. Um, But uh, I think it's the moving, someone's just doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Um, Oddly, he's started to react a little bit to bikes, but 
I think it was, we were like, no, bikes are fine. We don't need to do anything to, to make this an okay thing for you that we kind of ignored it the last couple of weeks and months. Um, so we've kind of added that back into our list of things that he's not super comfortable with. Um, and that's, that's definitely like the outward, more traditional reactivity uh, behavior, I would say. And then other things that he reacts to is if he sees other dogs, it's the pancaking, the stopping, not wanting to move forward, wanting to see what they're doing. Um, and then he definitely has a high prey drive. So he likes to chase bunnies, chase critters. Um, it, it always starts with the like, oh, I'm going to stop and watch you and stalk you. And then then he wants to chase them. So those are kind of our three categories that we're in. Yeah, right. And I feel like that becomes particularly challenging because a lot of the concepts translate, right? Like there's a lot of overlap in like training advice I've been giving you through this whole thing, but there's just, there's those small tweaks that we, I've encouraged you all to make based on his emotional response to those triggers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as far as the, the stopping, so for those of you listening, pancaking refers to when a dog like will go down on the ground, like lying down, like pancake, right? I know some people don't get that, so just to clarify. Um, I think that that, while it's not over the top, is really, really challenging to work through because he's in that like, wait a minute, something's going on. I can't move, right? Like, I feel like that is almost a little bit more challenging emotional mm -hmm. space because it's just more complex. Yeah, and it's definitely like a shutdown thing for him where he he's tuning everything out and only focused on whatever has made him re have that reaction. Yeah, okay, so, um, so I, I wanna hear about what from the course stands out in your mind as like the game changer as far as like how you were handling his triggers? For us, I definitely think it was doing the look at that where so much of what we were doing before was a little bit of an avoidance. So if we saw someone on a skateboard or someone on a bike or someone walking their dog, we would throw treats in the grass and let him sniff it because that is his favorite thing to do in the entire world. Um, and I think that that was working. It definitely never got him to a point where he was overreacting um, or getting over threshold, but we just weren't really getting to the bottom of why he was reacting in the first place because we were putting him in a different mindset to focus on something else. So for us actively saying, okay, here's a thing that you don't have a great relationship with, let's actually deal with it has really made a difference, especially with the skateboard. Um, you know, like I was saying previously, we couldn't even be a hundred feet apart. As soon as he saw it, he would lose his mind. And now he's like, oh, a skateboard, mom, I know you're going to give me something amazing to eat just because we're in the presence of it. So, so I think that at least for us, that's definitely been the biggest, um, piece that we've learned to to implement into our daily lives we were already doing a little bit of the pulling off the trail if we saw people coming um or you know turning around if we could see something far enough away and kind of get ahead of it before max saw it so we were doing those already but i think adding in the look at that game has just been a game changer for us yeah so and i think that you know the of the avoiding and the like distracting is not wrong you know what i mean like that could be a super effective tactic when you need it mm -hmm. but my goal is always to get you past the distraction technique so that you can just like full throttle meet whatever the trigger is and know exactly what to do 
So for everyone listening, when she refers to the look at that, essentially what we're doing is we're teaching the dog that the sight, sound, or smell of the trigger is actually the predictor that something good is going to happen. And that makes really meaningful behavior change because what happens over time is that instead of hearing, seeing, or smelling the trigger and really tensing up and preparing for eruption, then the dog starts to associate those things with good things. And you start to see that shift from like negative anticipate anticipation to that like happy, joyful, like, Ooh, that thing is coming. Right. Like, and that's really what we're after, right. Is that emotional response? Because that's what makes the most meaningful long-term behavior change. So as far as his freezing and stopping, can you just kind of fill us in like where you guys are at with that currently? Yeah, we are definitely making progress there too, which I'm super happy about. I mean, you know, like we were saying, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. It was just one of those things. It was like, okay, like we're on on a busy street corner. We cannot be doing this anymore. Or, you know, that dog is having a reaction and we're just making it worse because you refuse to keep moving forward. Um, But we are now at a point for the most part, as long as I can kind of get Max's attention before he fixates on the other dog or whatever it might be, then he's like, okay, like we can still keep walking mom. Sometimes he'll, you know, want to stop or slow down. We do a lot of touch to get him to keep moving. Um, occasionally I will kind of throw treats into the grass to give him a second to recalibrate. Um, and as, and I would say even when other dogs are reacting now, he's still okay for the most part to still keep going. It's probably one in every 50 times now where he's like, nope, gotta stop, need to lay down, can't keep going forward. Um, And most times it's been, you know, really hot out, the end of a walk, he's probably just tired in general that between being tired and not really wanting to deal with the dog coming in our direction, that's what he um, ends up doing instead. Yeah, right. So um, that's so wonderful. I'm so glad that that's getting more functional, right? Um, And I think that something that becomes really challenging with dogs like that Mac that will like stop and freeze is I think a lot of owners will be like, okay, do I just pull them? And then sometimes that just makes it worse, right? And he's a 60 pound hound. It's not like you have like a ton of leverage when it comes to that, right? And then I think it becomes kind of this like battle of the wills because then the dog's like, why are you pulling on me? I'm not moving. And that's, oh, it sucks, right? Like it's not a super fun cycle to be in. Um, so guys, what she was referring to when she said the nose touches is having Mac touch her hand and she's using that to keep him moving and keep him a little bit more engaged. And it's not technically a hands-off approach because he's still touching your hand, but it's like, you know, you're, you're not having to pull him. He's not having to resist. Um, so do you want to speak to that just a little bit? Yeah, and we definitely start small. So if I have realized like we did not get ahead of this situation, he's going to need a little bit more time. I will put my hand, you know, two or three inches from him and encourage him to use his nose and hit it and then reward him. And which oftentimes will get him to be like, oh, hi, mom, you're still here. What's going on? You have treats. Awesome. Um, If we're able to be still far enough away from the trigger and I feel like he's going to engage, sometimes I'll kind of walk the full length of the leash and ask them to come. And usually when we're able to be in that situation and he's going to do that, we'll just immediately start walking. And as we walk, I'll be able to treat him. So it's been a little bit of a combination of 
learning the distance of the trigger, what his mindset is, um, and kind of setting expectations of if I walk the length of, of the leash and he doesn't want to do a hand touch, I'm just going to walk back to him and get closer until he's at a place where he wants to. Um, so I also think that was a good lesson to learn of, you know, sometimes you have to make those teeny little steps to get to what you are looking for. And yeah, he's 60 pounds. He will not be dragged <laughs> even if you want to pull him on a leash. And I personally, after his surgeries, don't want to do that to begin with. I don't want to add extra stress to legs that already went through quite a bit. So we definitely try to avoid that um, whenever possible. Yeah. So, um, and, and everyone listening, if you listen to the episode, I can't remember what number it was entitled behavioral momentum. Mac was the inspiration. Mac and Eric were the inspiration for that episode because it's hard sometimes in those moments to think about like, wait, I just reward him for doing this little thing, even though he's mm -hmm. standing still, you know, but then when you start to see it work and happen, you're like, oh my gosh, right. This makes so much sense. Yeah. And I just want to give you, you a ton of kudos because you were doing so much right before you came into the program. Really what I did is I gave you some tweaks and some support, and then I'm just checking in each week to be like, okay, that's not working, do it this way, maybe try this way, right? And I think that mm -hmm. that's so many of the wonderful people that are enrolled in this course is that they do have some skills. They understand positive reinforcement training, but I structure it in a way where I help you look at things critically and then insert just those small tweaks that you need to make along the way. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things almost immediately that I found helpful was when we were talking about going to a parking lot and doing some of the training with the skateboard. And I was like, Rachel, we did this and it was still a disaster. We were like as far away as we could be. And you were like, was he on a short leash or a long leash? And I was like, oh, a short leash. Like, why would he not be on that? And we were like, try a long leash. And immediately that took all the pressure off him feeling like he was trapped. And he immediately was able to actually work through all of his feelings about skateboards. Um, and I think if we just, sorry. I'm back. <laughs> this boy is under the couch and he wants it immediately, apparently. <laughs> um, but I think if we hadn't even brought up that conversation of long leash versus short leash, we would not have made the progress we did like we did as quickly. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, it's so much of dog training is just creative solutions. And seriously, sometimes just having like one person to look and be like, maybe make this tweak. Right. Mm -hmm. So for everyone listening, I, um, for everyone enrolled in reactive redefined, they have unlimited entries of videos that they can send me for feedback. And you guys really took me up on that, which I love so much because in like, seriously, I, I told you that and you did it the next time and then you saw success. Mm -hmm. Right. So for everyone enrolled in the course, I, I, I make myself available so that you don't have to wait for the group call in two weeks. You can just be like, what do I do here? And I can tell you exactly then, like you did this right, make this tweak. And then we can regroup again. Yeah. And I think that was really helpful too for him stopping on walks and pancaking on the ground. I was describing it, but then actually being able to show you um, and then get the, the exact feedback of, okay, you know, just get his attention on you and then reward him. Then do the hand touch and then reward him. Um, that we probably wouldn't have got there if I wasn't able to send you that video and get the immediate feedback. Yeah, for sure. So I think sometimes people are like, what do you mean this is a virtual program? Like, mm -hmm. just wait, right? Just wait, because you're probably going to get more out of this than you would if I just saw you one time in person. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. Okay, so um, I, I just want to hear from you. Um, how, how do you feel about the, the group calls? Like, what value have you gotten from the group calls? 
I love just hearing what other people are going through. Um, you know, maybe I don't always relate to all of their dogs and their reactions, but every now and then, you know, someone will say like, oh, I've, my dog's in the backyard and this has been going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, we just had that happen too. So it's not something we're necessarily focused on working through, but now I know based on your experience, some of the, the tools I can take back and work on later on. Um, I also just love that we have the Facebook group and we're able to talk through other things other than just reactivity. Um, I loved when, you know, Ivy's mom was you know, mentioning that her, or she was struggling on walks in their neighborhood. And I was like, hey, been there, done that. Like, I totally feel you on this one and was able to just chat through some of the options there. I feel like, yes, there's a lot of resources and other Facebook groups out there, but actually having a closed group where everyone understands the end goal of helping their dog with reactivity. Um, we know that we're all in the same mindset of how we should approach training. And then of course, having you to back us up um, and provide additional insight has been really, really helpful. So I appreciate that. I feel like for me, not only were we kind of in denial about their reactivity for so long, but then, you know, no one else I know has a reactive dog. So I would call my friend and be like, hey, this thing happened on our walk. What should I do? And she's like, I don't know. My dog never does that. So um, it, we kind of felt like we were a little bit alone. And that probably was also part of the reason it took us so long to say, you know, we need to to address this and um, to help Mac work through the feelings he's having every single time we're out in the world. But um I was a little skeptical about doing online, to be perfectly honest. I think, again, you know, the pandemic forced us into that direction regardless, but um, it's, I think it's been helpful. Like you were saying, yeah, you could have met once in person and you would not get the full picture, but now just having the ability to send videos as we're able to take them, having those conversations through the calls, and then, of course, the Facebook group support. Yes, right. I'm so grateful to hear you say that about the Facebook group because, I was very intentional and like only people who are in the program are part of the Facebook group mm -hmm. because I really wanted to be a safe place where, like you said, everyone is already on the same page, right? We don't have to do any like bickering back and forth about anything. It's just like, nope, this is it. And I love it so much because of course I look at all the comments, but most of the time everyone has made really good comments and all I have to do is just be like seven heart emojis. Like you guys are amazing. So... <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So, um, Erica, for the reactive dog owner who is on the fence about reactive redefined, what would you say to them? I would say if it's been something you've been thinking of for a while, just do it. I definitely watched the, fir the first cohort go through your program. Um, it, Mac was still very much in his early recovery days. We were maybe five minutes outside a day. It was not going to make sense for us. Um, but I think watching them and hearing their successes really made me realize that online could work. Like I said, I was a little bit skeptical of that. I'm very much a hands-on, in-person, hangout together, learn together type of individual. Um, but I think for me, what's been really helpful is just the ability to get direct feedback on Mac and it not be you know, okay, every dog is having a reaction. This is what you do. It's your dog's having this particular reaction and here's how we're going to address it. Um, and still, again, hearing from, you know, the other people on the calls of what they're going through. So it might not be something that we are working through now, but it could definitely come up in the future. And just hearing those uh, stories and solutions, I think is going to be invaluable for the rest of Max's life. Yes. Oh my God. And that's the goal, right? Because I want you to have the tools. So 
I still want some, I still want to support you from afar. But once you have the tools, it's like, you're just, you're, you're going out there and you're doing it. You're amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for, oh my gosh. Hi Mac. I wish you all could see him and his sweet face. Okay. So Erica, if people want to connect with you and Mac, can you tell them how they can find you? Yes. We are very active on Instagram. We are at hound dog underscore Mac. Um, I probably post way too frequently there, but we are always talking about our reactivity journey, um, all the crazy things that he's doing all the time. Um, and we just love talking with other dog owners and you know, hearing what they're going through, learning from them. Um, I ended up finding a place to take him swimming from someone I met on Instagram, which is amazing. So I think if people wanna connect with us, we definitely wanna connect with you back. So amazing. Okay, so I'll include that link in the show notes. And just for everyone, can you tell them where you're located? We are in Massachusetts. Nice. Very good. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor to be a part of your training journey. Absolutely. It's been wonderful. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me, you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to help more like-minded individuals find us.